Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Listen as Pastor Jahan Cox teaches on seeing what heaven sees. I heard this in my spirit yesterday as I was, I don't know, running errands, doing something with the kids. I don't, I really don't remember. If we can't see what heaven sees, then we're stuck with our present reality. Let me say that again. If we can't see what heaven sees, then we're stuck with our present reality. I'm not suggesting that in the middle of your mess you deny your reality and pretend it's not there. Uh, I got tickled at a, a friend this week was telling me their car broke down and One of their sons was like, no, it's fine. The the car's fine. And the other kid was like, but it's not fine. Like, we're walking on the side of the road. It's it's not fine. The car's not fine. And the other son was like, no, it's fine. The car's fine. It's going to be fine. And the other kid was like, no, really, we're walking on the side of the road. It's really like the car isn't working. (laughs) And the mom was finally, finally like, I really appreciate that you're trying to see this rightly, but we're walking on the side of the road, and I don't really want to hear the two of you argue about how the car is or isn't, okay? (laughs) I'm not suggesting that you deny what's going on. That's not faith. Faith is not denial. Faith is not denial. Faith, however, is quiet rest and trust that something else is going on. God is moving in the unseen, and I may not understand it, but this what I see is not everything that's going on. Much of us, many of us, most of us, all of us see things at face value. And we respond and we react and we panic when we see things at face value. If we could see there's something else going on, then we would all have access to what's really going on. All right, let's look at Mark chapter 8 this morning. I'm going to read most of what I'm reading today from the Passion Translation. i got to carry my thing because... I can't wear pants right now. It's just not happening. I am 32 weeks pregnant today. Yes. Cheer and holler for me. I love it when people go, oh my. Any day now, right? And I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm, any day in eight weeks. Are you sure there's just one in there? Do you want me to punch you? Because <laughs> what I hear you say is, you're huge. <laughs> Do you ever want someone to walk up and acknowledge how large you are? Why is that suddenly okay when you're pregnant? I just want to know why that's okay. It's not okay. They know how big they are because they can't fit in their clothes. They know. I just smile and go, yeah, mm mm-hmm. 
in eight weeks. Mm -hmm. Please stop talking about it. All right. Mark chapter 8. Um, I started reading this yesterday and I realized, oh my gosh, I didn't realize this, but did you know Jesus fed multitudes more than once? Yes. You all are more saved than I am. <laughs> I, I did not realize. <laughs> Does anyone else read your Bible and go, I did not know that was in there? <laughs> okay, just me. That's good. That's good. So I realized that Jesus has already, uh, it's earlier in Mark, but he's already read, uh, fed, and this is the more famous of the story. I don't really know why the five loaves and two fish gets more attention. I'm feeling like both of them are pretty monumental, you know, feeding thousands, but we usually just talk about the five loaves and two fish example. But in Mark chapter 8, this is another feeding miracle. I feel like if I had seen Jesus feed thousands before, I'd probably totally expect him to be able to do it a second time. Right? I'd be like, oh, we've done this. What's hilarious about this story is that the second feeding of thousands is also right after Jesus has raised a little girl that was dead. But what he said was only sleeping. I love you so much. Yeah. I'm going to take all your good stuff that you tell me at night and pretend like I discovered it. <laughs> you had swords. I have to use your cool stuff. We're one. It's the same thing. I texted him yesterday, and I was like, this is what I'm hearing. So he came home last night. He was like, that's crazy, because when you didn't respond, I thought, well, I guess I better study. And I was kind of hearing the same thing. So he gave me all this really great material. But he thought he would preach later. <laughs> no, I took notes. <laughs> I was like, mm hmm, that's great, honey. Mm hmm. Mark chapter four. <laughs> I really was in Mark before you told me the other things in Mark, but now I'm going to preach yours and mine. Okay. <laughs> Teamwork makes the dream work. Okay. <laughs> I feel like that if I had seen Jesus feed thousands, I would totally be like, yes, seen this, done this, watch this, guys. But that's not their position. And then I look at my own life and I go, mm -hmm, I needed a miracle. I needed provision. He showed up. Here I am. A few months later, a year down the road, need another miracle, need provision. And my posture is not seeing him do this before. He's about to do it again. It's, oh, crap. You don't do that? I do that. I've been living in three weeks of, oh, crap. That's very honest and vulnerable. If you don't want to come here anymore, it's fine. <laughs> but seriously... I've been like, oh, I've seen God like write $26,000 checks before, but here I am in the need of miracle and going, oh, panic. So the disciples were much like ourselves, normal people, 
saw him feed thousands, saw him raise the dead, and still came up upon situation after situation where Jesus was like, oh my gosh, we just, like we just did this, like last Wednesday. We just fed thousands of people. All right, let's look at it. Mark 8, verse 8. During those days, another massive crowd gathered to hear Jesus, and again, there was no food and the people were hungry. So Jesus called his disciples to come near him and said to them, My heart goes out to this crowd, for they've already been here with me for three days with nothing to eat. I am concerned that if I send them home hungry, they'll be exhausted along the way, for some of them have come a long, long way just to be with me. Verse 4. We started at 1. I'm sure you picked up on that. Mm -hmm. Okay. I have no idea why this says eight. It's fine. Okay. His disciples replied, but could anyone possibly get enough food to satisfy a crowd this size out here in this isolated place? You know what's funny? This crowd is smaller than the last one. But could anyone possibly, could anyone could anyone, the dude that just fed him a week ago, could anyone possibly get enough food to satisfy a crowd this size out here in this isolated place? He asked them. I mean, I could just see Jesus rolling his eyes. Maybe you don't think Jesus rolled his eyes. I'm confident he rolled his eyes. <laughs> we are just like him, you know, in a lot of ways, and I have the natural tendency to roll my eyes. So I feel like he probably rolled his eyes. And he said, how many loaves of bread do you have? <laughs> Last time we were working with five. And they said seven. Jesus instructed the crowd to sit down on the grass. I'm, at this point I'm thinking they're probably going, oh, we've done this before. <laughs> he's going to like group them up and he's going to pray and he's going to give us the bread and everybody's going to get fed. I'm wondering when the light bulb goes off for them. Okay. He asked him, how many loaves do you have? Seven. They replied, Jesus instructed the crowd to sit down on the grass. After he took the seven loaves, he gave thanks to God, broke them and started handing them to his disciples. They kept distributing the bread until they had served the entire crowd. Mm -hmm. They also had a few small fish. And after giving thanks for these, Jesus had his disciples serve them to the crowd. Everyone ate until they were satisfied. Then the disciples gathered up the broken pieces and filled seven large baskets with the leftovers. About 4,000 people ate the food that had been multiplied. Then he dismissed the crowd. Afterwards, Jesus got into a boat and sailed to the vicinity of a very cool word that I cannot pronounce. Okay. We're going to keep going in just a minute. Seriously, how did they not go, oh, we're going to do the feeding thousands thing again? This is so cool, guys. He did it like eight days ago, and it was so cool. Just sit down. Watch this. Poof, it's about to multiply before your eyes. That's not what they said. They were looking at it at face value. They forgot. We forget. I dare say some of us keep facing the same thing because God's waiting on us to come up against it and go, 
oh, I've seen you do this before. I've seen you do this before. Guys, watch this. This is about to get ridiculous. But still, we come against it and go, oh, no. I don't know if he can handle this. And we go to panic mode and worry mode and crisis mode and not sleep mode and all the things. Right? Let's keep reading. Verse 11, as soon as Jesus landed, he was confronted by the Pharisees who argued with Jesus and tested him. They demanded that he give them a miraculous sign from heaven. And with a deep sigh from his spirit, he said, what drives this generation to clamor for a sign? Listen to the truth. There will absolutely be no sign given to this generation. Then he turned and left them, got back into the boat, crossed over to the opposite shore. Now listen, he gets in the the boat with the disciples after after having this conversation with the Pharisees, and he's got to be frustrated. He's got to be thinking, okay, I just fed thousands for the second time. I've just raised the dead. I've just healed a woman with the issue of blood, and these jokers still don't get it. So he gets in the boat with his disciples and he starts to talk to them about the yeast or the leaven of the Pharisees and the yeast or the leaven of Herod. And what's funny is his disciples are like, did we forget to bring the bread? Why is he talking about bread? Because they only had one piece of bread with them, and he's talking about bread, and they're like, did we bring the wrong kind of bread? What is going on here? I love this. Verse 14, they, got, they had forgotten to take bread except for one loaf, and as they were sailing across the lake, Jesus repeatedly is warning them. Why? Because he just has a conversation with people who are seeing but not seeing, who are hearing but not hearing. And so he's like, I just fed multiple of thousands of people twice in front of them. And right before I did it, they wondered if I could do it again. I really need to talk to them about this thing that's at war against their ability to see. So he starts saying, why are you, verse 16, uh, actually 15. And as they were sailing across the lake, he repeatedly warns them, be on your guard against the yeast inside of the Pharisees and the yeast inside of Herod. But the disciples had no clue what Jesus was talking about. So they began to discuss it among themselves, saying, is he saying this because we forgot to bring bread? You ever talk to somebody that you're like, you're not getting it. No, never, not you. You should sign up for ministry. You'll see it all the time. Verse 17. Knowing what they were thinking, Jesus said to them, Why are you fussing over forgetting to bring bread? Oh my gosh, if we were talking about forgetting to bring bread, I would just multiply the bread again. That's not what we're talking about. Do you still not see or understand what I say to you? Are your hearts still hard? You have good eyes, yet you still don't see. You have good ears, yet you still don't hear. Neither do you remember. 
When I multiplied the bread to feed more than 5,000 people, how many baskets full of leftovers did you gather afterwards? This is like me with my kids, right? How many times did I ask you to take out the trash? Four. Why didn't you take out the trash? I, I, I don't know. Remember the last time I fed thousands? How many baskets were there? Twelve. Okay. How many, uh, and when I multiplied food to feed over the 4,000, how many large baskets did we have afterwards? Seven. Then how is it you still don't get it? That's how Jesus said it. He didn't say it like this. Then how is it that you still don't get it? And he didn't say it in an English accent. All the Bible movies, all the characters have English accents. I don't understand that. We're talking about the Middle East here, people. Not Britain and England. That's, I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me. How many baskets were there left over? <laughs> Seven, my lord. <laughs> and how many were there the second time? Twelve, my lord. Why don't you get it? That's not how it played out. He's like, why don't you get it? We've done this before. Your eyes are working, but they're not working. Your ears are working, but they're not working. You see a crowd and you see hungry people and you see impossible. I need you to see a crowd and me feeding them. I need you to look at your financial situation that's resistant and not moving and go, you have to move. I don't know how God is going to move you, but mountain you are moving. You have to learn to see mountains bow, impassibility bow, not just when you feel good and when all the things are lining up. That's easy. That's still taking it at face value. Where are the believers who believe we're in a kingdom who never runs out, who does not have lack, who does not know impossible, who spoke the world into existence? Where are those people? Where are the people that walk into a business meeting and say, all of you have tried every strategy, but I have seen from heaven. I have seen the reality of a different world, and I have a strategy that's going to bring breakthrough. Where are we? That's who we are. But instead, we walk in like all the other Joe Blows and go, uh, I don't know. This looks hard. I don't know. Shrug our shoulders. Yeah, this is, this is pretty impossible. I totally agree. We should probably back out of this. Absolutely. We're believers. What, do you, what are you believing in? If you're always just believing and rehearsing and confessing everything that is staring you right in the face then you are doing nothing but feeding your present reality. And that will be the fruit you eat. Proverbs says we eat the fruit of our lips. I'm not suggesting that you confess and deny your reality. What I am suggesting is that you declare and you speak and you prophesy what he lets you see.
I'm not saying conjure something up. I'm not saying work something up. I'm not saying be stupid and ignorant and make declarations to make everyone around you feel like she's crazy. Don't repeat what you haven't heard. Don't repeat what you haven't seen. But by all means, go hear something. By all means, go see something. Shut your eyes to the natural world around you and keep them shut until you see in the spirit and then make declaration and hold to that till it shows up. Amen? If we cannot see what heaven sees, then we get stuck in our limited present reality. We have to depend on what's in front of us. We're limited to our own resources. We're stuck in everything that comes at us and we're powerless to change it. If we can't see what heaven sees. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. If we view our slight, short-lived troubles in the light of eternity, we see our difficulties as the substance that produces for us an eternal, weighty, far beyond all comparison. Because we don't focus our attention on what is seen, but on what is unseen for what is seen is temporary and what the unseen realm but the unseen realm is eternal we do it opposite the very thing that you're mad at is trying to produce something in you so that you can get to what you've asked God to get you to if you will stop shaking your finger at it and you will stop prophesying to it, start prophesying to it, then the glory that God deposited in you that was meant to surface in this conflict will come out. You'll see what you've been praying to see. You'll see what you've been praying to see. You must shift your focus. Shifting your focus from the seen to the unseen, pulls the reality of another realm into this realm. Hebrews 11, 3. I love this. This is the great chapter about those who were in the hall of fame of faith, if you will. Verse 3. Faith empowers us to see. That the universe was created and beautifully coordinated by the power of God's words. He spoke, and listen to this, the invisible realm gave birth to all that is seen. Everything you want to see is locked up in an invisible realm. But 2 Corinthians tells us, that the Spirit will reveal that realm to those who are born of the Spirit. Anybody in here born of the Spirit? Then you can see it. You were born, designed, created to see it. When you were born again, 
into the kingdom of God, you got another pair of eyes. They're called spirit eyes. And they see what the spirit is trying to show you. So what was a mystery, what was a mystery, what was hidden, what was behind the veil is now visible and tangible if you will see it. If you can see it, you can have it. If you can't see it, you can't have it. Because faith empowers you to see. Faith empowers you to go, oh, I see that miracle. I see that. Everything else is inferior to that. And then you got to lock eyes with it. And you can't take your eyes off of what you've seen in the invisible realm. Because that realm is what gave birth to all this stuff anyways. This is the inferior realm. Are you hearing me? This thing we can't see, the invisible realm of the kingdom of God that you cannot see with your natural eye is what gave birth to everything you can see. And it's our privilege, not responsibility. I'm not going to say responsibility. It is our privilege to be those that see. They walk into the room where no one is seeing and go, oh, I know, I know, I saw something. I had a dream last night. I was driving over here and the Lord spoke something. I had this vision. I don't even know what this means, but I just saw. And because I have seen it, it must be. Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no clear prophetic vision, people quickly wander astray. But when you follow the revelation of the word, heaven's bliss fills your soul. Did you know in the middle of absolute chaos and crisis, there's an opportunity for bliss and joy because you see something going on that nobody else sees. That's why James says rejoice when you're in a trial. Because God's producing something in you that's going to cause you to not have lack in any area. You're gonna, God's going to develop character and endurance and maturity in you. And it's necessary and you could rejoice over the friction because something of eternal weight and glory is about to manifest in the seen world. Because you pulled on it by faith. You can't change it by worry. You can't change it by pity. You can't change it by your anger. It won't change because you get frustrated. It won't change because you quit sleeping. It won't change because you keep talking about how bad it is. But it will change if you can see it how he sees it. Romans 1.20. Uh, we use this verse all the time when we're teaching our students, kids, age 6 and 7 in kids camp and at teen camp, we use this all the time because I used to get asked the question, like, why do you send them outside and why do you call this time seeing and hearing? Like, what are they seeing and what are they hearing? And I stumbled across this verse several years ago and I was like, duh, because I knew it by experience to be true, but I didn't, I didn't know it by the word. Does that make sense? Some of us know some things by experience and you're like, I'm 100% sure this is true and right. I just have no idea where this is at in the word. <laughs> 
And so I stumbled across this and it blew my mind. uh, Romans 1.20. Opposition to truth cannot be excused on the basis of ignorance because from the creation of the world, the invisible qualities of God's nature have been made visible. Such as his eternal power and transcendence. He has made his wonderful attributes easily perceived. Say, easily perceived. For seeing the visible makes us understand the invisible. So then, this leaves everyone without an excuse. We have no excuse. The heavens are telling the glory of God. The trees clap their hands. The ocean responds to the summon of his voice. Everywhere you look, if you have eyes to see, declares, prophesies, foretells, screams of the nature of your God. You are without excuse to know who he is, to know what he thinks about you. He had all of that and said, Not good enough. Excellent, beautiful, wonderful, lacking. Why? You weren't in the picture. That's your value. Everything that's seen, everything you see is waiting on you to dig a little deeper so you can discover what's unseen. I got a text earlier this week from, she'll know who she is, but I won't tell you who she is because she might not ever speak to me again. And it's, I really need her to speak to me again because we're friends. But um, the staff, over the last three weeks, I can count three families just in the staff of the church who have just come up against a wall with vehicles or something breaking in their house or something just crazy. You know, anybody ever heard the expression, when it rains, it pours? I hate that expression. Why can't when it rain, it stop? Why can't we say that? When it rains, it pours. When it rains, stop. Let's change the phrase. Let's do it. We can do that. And so they had just fixed one car and, you know, spent a small house payment to fix it. And then the other car, which was totally fine two days before, decides it's going to quit working. You know. And said individual had an opportunity to pitch a fit and get mad and cry and walk in with her head down and make everyone feel sorry for her. And I love this. She sent me this. She said, I won't be overwhelmed when the car keeps needing repairs. I won't be overwhelmed when it seems like we have no money. I won't be overwhelmed when I can't see the end. I won't be overwhelmed when I don't know the answer. I won't be overwhelmed when the enemy seems to keep attacking. I won't be overwhelmed. I'll look to the one who knows. That's who we are. 
That should be the believer's response. Throw everything temporary, throw everything at me, but this is not the end of where I'm at. He is always moving in the unseen. Always moving in the unseen. Um, I'll briefly just share something Michael and I personally are walking through. We're really trying to get this precious, wonderful Lifehouse Express open. It took six weeks to get dirt. I mean, I just thought dirt was like totally plentiful in our area. But apparently, getting your hands on dirt, either we don't know how to get dirt or I don't, or like... All of the demons of Knoxville were like, oh, no, can't take this dirt. I don't know. But it was very difficult to get dirt. So we finally got dirt. And we're like, you know, okay, losing money every day. It's fine. Everything's fine. It's fine. This is fine. And uh, Michael called me last week, and he said, John, there's a guy that stopped by the shop and said he saw the video on Facebook that we posted of the bulldozer graciously playing with the dirt that we had prayed for for six weeks. Never been so thankful for dirt in all my life. And um, the man stopped in and said, I want to talk to you about what you're doing across the street. I was going to open up a snow cone little, like, metal hut thing just about three doors down. But I saw that video, and he's a believer and works with Lost Sheep, who we actually are in partnership with, with, through the men of RLH, and he heard about what we're doing, and anyhow, he said, but now that I know for sure that's what you're doing, I'm, I won't do that three doors down. I'm not going to compete with you. There's plenty of other places. I'll go. So when I couldn't see what God was doing and the timing of God, he made sure that he saw so that he wouldn't make a move that would conflict with the promise God made me. He's always moving in the unseen. He's always moving. He made sure a man saw the video of the dirt and went, hmm. We didn't even say anything about snow cones on the video. We just said Lifehouse Coffee Express. Shaved ice is what he's doing. What? I was just like, what? Shaved ice? What? What are we shaving? Okay, anyways, moving on. Thank you, Kenny. I was with you. He's always gourmet shaved ice. Okay, whatever. With the sugar syrup, basically. We're going to feed it to the masses. Yes. In the name of Jesus, we're going to feed it to the masses. Take a jog with your snow cone. He's always moving in the unseen. I don't know what is going on in your world today that looks impossible, that is frustrating the mess out of you. But if you will have eyes to see what the Spirit is doing, heaven's bliss will fill your soul. 
you'll get fired up knowing that God is about to feed the masses right in front of your face if you'll have eyes to see. So I want us to do something just in closing. I could tell you story after story in Scripture. I could tell you how Elisha was with his servant and the servant comes to him panicked and is like, uh, Elisha, there's like a whole army around us. And Elisha's like, I can see him being like Jesus and saying, mm, no, you're not seeing this right. And it's so simple. The Bible says in 2 Kings 6 that Elisha says, God, let him see what's really going on. And then the servant sees another army. But this army's on fire. And they're surrounding Elisha. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm really surrounded by you. If you'll have eyes to see. And I love what Michael referenced earlier. He said, I found myself trying to get bigger and get a bigger hammer, buckle down, work harder. That's not how we fight. That's not how believers are called to fight. Your job is to believe. Details, that's his job. Faith is not a lazy position. I am not suggesting faith is lazy. Faith is actually quite violent. It's a quiet rest and confidence that is absolutely relentless in believing. What you know is true even when you can't see it. So don't buckle down and get a bigger hammer. Believe. Say it till you believe it. Get in a room till you can see it. A lot of times when I lead worship, I close my eyes. Not because I don't love you, but because I, what we look at, we take it in. We process in the natural. We process the information. And so I am a seer. That's like one of my top spiritual gifts. And so I just have to shut this out so I can really focus on what I'm seeing. That sounds silly and childish, but some of you need to go in a room and just shut your eyes and say, I'm not opening these natural eyes to you. Let me see what's going on. Paul, will you come play? I don't even know where you Oh, you're right there. I want us to do this together today. I want to give you an opportunity to um, practice truth today. And I just want you to shut your eyes. Some of you are as bad as children, keeping your eyes open. Shut your eyes. Jesus is very clear when he's talking to his disciples that the power to see comes from the Holy Spirit. He's the one that searches the hearts and minds of us and leads us into all truth, but he's also the one that searches the mind of God. And he only repeats what he sees and what he hears. And so I just want you just in your own way, if you need to like put your hands on your eyes, if you want to come to the altar and put oil on your eyes, don't put it in your eyeball. It could burn really bad. But 
I just want you to take a minute and really ask the Holy Spirit to let you see. He would not tell us that the invisible realm is easily perceived if it were not easily perceived. You were born to see in the spirit because you're a spirit being first. And so maybe it's an impossible situation. Maybe you need a shift in your marriage. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe everything's just hunky-dory, but you're existing and checking in and checking out, and every day looks the same, and you need, and you're hungry to see something different. I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit, show me what you see. see someone getting stronger you feel weak and overwhelmed but you're getting stronger if you don't quit you win if you don't quit you win If you don't quit, you win. If you don't quit, you win. Come on, keep asking till what looks impossible looks possible. Keep asking till what looks impossible looks easy.
image in this picture in my mind right now of, of boxes being packed of an, of an empty house and there's just boxes everywhere and just feels, the, the picture feels really lonely feels like a real solid close to the end of a story but that's not really what's going on What's really going on is you're making preparation for a new story and what what you've carried with you before doesn't suit where you're going. Sounds so generic, but this is really specific for someone. There's a real loneliness attached to the obedient steps you're making right now and God wants to replace loneliness with a real expectation, with joy, because you're not getting rid of anything. You're preparing for what God's trying to get to you. If you see it as getting rid of, you're going to mourn and you're going to be stuck in lonely and hopelessness. But if you'll see it as preparation for what's coming, there's a joy and an expectation that's going to be strength to where you're going. You're not a vagabond. You're not a nomad, you're not homeless, you're not placeless, you're not purposeless. I dare say this is the most purpose-filled season of your life, but in the natural, it looks final. It looks lonely, but it's not. I also see someone just, I'm talking the scrawniest of scrawnies I've ever seen, just a thin, rail of a man and I see you just sweating it out working in the gym and I see you come in morning after morning and nothing's really changing and you feel like this is pointless I don't see a change this is just a lot of work but I hear the spirit of the Lord say you are getting stronger What I'm developing in you on the inside is going to show up on the outside. But it's going to be, it's being established in the invisible realm first. Don't quit. Don't quit. You feel silly and stupid because there's people next to you lifting five times your weight. And they make it look easy and you're struggling to pick up the 10-pounder. I don't know who you are today, but keep picking it up till it gets easy and then move on up to the 15 and pick it up till it gets easy. And you don't worry about who's next to you with their 50-pound dumbbell. You keep exercising what is in front of you and what God is establishing in the invisible realm is going to show up. 
The reality is you're the most impressive one in the gym. That's what's really going on. Because you keep showing up. You don't show up in spurts. You're not there to flex your muscles and show everybody else how big and bad you are. Actually, everyone thinks you're quite pathetic. But the truth is you're the strongest in the room because of what God's establishing on the inside. Don't quit. I don't care who laughs at you. I don't care how silly you feel. Don't quit. Square your shoulders, stare in that mirror, and lift time after time. Keep showing up. God's developing something incredible inside of you. share this and then I think we'll pray and be done I saw a money changing hands I feel like what the Lord is saying is that I've asked you to give but you don't feel like you have much to give and you feel like the practical logical smart thing to do is to save to store it But God's asking you to give. God's asking you to exchange. It's imperative, whoever this is for, it's imperative that you don't see this in the natural. Because what God's trying to get to you It's not 20s and 100s. It's, it's substantial what God's trying to get to you. But you've got to release what's in your hand first. So Father, today I just ask from the front of the room to the back, from the smallest image to the most grandiose picture you've shown your people today, that faith is activated because faith empowers us to see. And I pray today that what we have seen, you will give grace by the Spirit of God to lay hold of it and pull it from your realm into ours. I ask that, God, we would do this from a place of rest and quiet trust and confidence, not from striving, not from trying to earn or prove, but today from quiet rest and trust, we would pull from your realm into ours. And I pray today for those who have been knocking on the door for a long time. I ask today that they would just see the door begin to crack open so they would persevere and keep going today. 
I declare over your people that they are believers. They are sons and daughters of God. They are those who believe in a kingdom that knows no lack and has no end of resources. I thank you today that all provision is available to us as believers. That if there is a seed of a dream, then it is supposed to be realized. And I pray that the seed of that dream would nag and nag and nag and nag and make everything in the natural realm seem so small and inferior to what they see in seed form shows up and manifests before their eyes. I bless your people today. I bless their going and their coming. I say that their sleep is sweet and there's no torment or anxiousness in the night season in Jesus name and I make a demand according to your word today that every dollar that the enemy has stolen from covenant people to weary the saints to frustrate the purposes of God I demand you to make a return to the people of God in Jesus name those that are givers in this room who have covenanted their finances with you because they trust you those that have partnered with heaven who are being actively stolen from I just curse the foxes of the vineyards and I curse the little imps that are nipping at their feet and trying to steal from them I say it is illegal activity and I bind the hand of our enemy in Jesus name and I declare it return to the people of God in Jesus name we don't beg for it. We don't plead for it. We demand you give us our stuff back in Jesus' name. I release peace in this room in Jesus' name. Heavy, sweet peace over every family, over every marriage. Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Redemption Life.